going. So, um, uh, my name's Rich. I'm one of the pastors here, if I haven't got to meet you. So thanks for joining us here this morning. Um, I wanted to uh, share with you uh, maybe a major milestone in the life of the Firehouse Church that happened this last week, um, just related to the building and the warehouse and stuff like that. Some of you might have noticed what we had. We used to have some flickering lights in here. Anyone ever notice that? Uh, I call it the flickering light syndrome. Um, people were, were Some people were getting headaches. A few seizures happened a few people passed out and I thought it was just my teaching but it really was the flickering lights that did it um, but we, we debugged it we've been trying to figure it out for a few weeks maybe longer why was that happening we had a lot of hunches and but we found out finally that it was um, a couple of our coffee pots out there that uh, they uh, once they kicked into a like a, a coffee warming mode they seemed to draw more power than the city of Denver could afford us and uh, we had we were getting calls from a nuclear power plants in Arizona about our, our usage there so we realized that it was the coffee pots we we've got rid of those and so we also have gotten rid of the flickering lights so I hope you appreciate that as much as I do so that was something else but anyways um, we are in the, uh, I think it's about the fourth part of a series that we uh, have been doing here called The Road Less Traveled, and we're going to talk about that, so I'm going I'm to give you a little kind of up to speed on the series, and we're going to pray first, and then we'll get jump right into that, so if you guys would, let's just um, bow our heads and then just ask God to, to bless our time here again. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do just want to look to you this morning, and God, as we... Um, Open up your word. I just pray we'd hear from you. Lord, I know we're going to look at a few verses here that um, much of our culture would not agree with. Much of our culture would take offense at it. And Lord, I pray that would not be the case for your people. Lord, that these verses would not offend us, that we would agree with them, that we would try to live by them. Lord, we we ask for your help in that. Help us to understand your design um, and and your will on some of these things we'll look at. Help us also to live that out, Lord. And so um, we just commit this time to you, ask that you would speak to us through your spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the the road less traveled here. We're doing them. You know, we've gone through the parenthood was the first section, and then we did a time of moms in the hood was the second section there, and then we did dads last week. I think it was man versus wild. And, um, you know, so this week we're going to talk about things related to couples. And um, it's going to be a little different than the, the previous ones. We did some panel interviews and things like that. And, and this message this morning, some of the truths we'll look at, um, they not only apply to couples, I would say they apply to every one of us, regardless of what phase of life we're in. And so I hope that you don't just shut down and go, oh, I'm not married, so these don't apply to me. A lot of these truths relate to um, marriage and uh, things that are going on in our culture right now. And so... Um, I know for me, one, one thing that I noticed about this series is as we started through it, we talked about moms, and we had some stay-at-home moms just share life from their perspective, the faith that was required, some of the verses that guided and motivated those moms. And, um, and you know, I think uh, I got a round two of, of the importance and the value of uh, moms, especially stay-at-home moms, this, this last week. You know, we, um, last weekend we had a pastor's getaway where a lot of uh, pastors in our region went down to Colorado Springs. We had a time just to, to meet together and talk through life as it related to our marriages and our families. And it was just a very refreshing, encouraging time. And then we came back um, 
back to reality and back uh, back to the doctor's office in the case of my wife you know we went and checked her into the the doctor on Monday and she had some she got some sort of virus that uh, really hit her system hard and it it uh, it had a one of the ways it manifests itself it had these sores that were were growing in her mouth and her throat and it just made this basically her, her mouth from one side to the other with one giant sore and uh, she couldn't eat because of that and so we had to get some different medicines and but anyways uh, I played I played mom and dad and husband and all of that this week this last week and so uh, I know David was talking during the worship time of how many of you your week didn't look like you had planned on it looking I go amen I was the one who said amen in the back room it was not the week I was planning on you know um, and I tell you, uh, I, I have an appreciation for moms that stay at home and raise the children, and, and I have a greater appreciation after this last week. I mean, I, I was just trying to keep the kids alive, and I go, it's a survival mode. Let's keep them all alive. Let's you know, get them back in my wife's hands here, just everyone functional. We didn't do things like, uh, maybe they changed their clothes if they knew to do that on their own. The toothbrush was probably not that very active. Um, they may or may not have gotten all the meals that they needed. And, uh, you know, my goal was just to keep them alive. I kept about four out of five of them alive this past week. So, you know, it was not too bad, 80%. So, um, But I tell you, you know, the whole idea of multitasking, that sounds like a great idea too. And I don't know how my wife gets anything else done besides just keeping these kids all pointed in the same direction, much less running our home, much less homeschooling, much less getting things done off her to-do list. I, I do not get it. I, I just, I told her I have an even greater appreciation. I thought it was a pretty great appreciation before this week. So, um, but anyways, we did survive and, and life looked different this last week. And uh, praise the Lord to have my wife back on her feet here. So um, that was just my own personal journey on road less traveled as it relates to moms and uh, anyways we're going to talk about marriage and couples and stuff and again I said this is not only for uh, couples here but um, when it comes to marriage and some of the truths we're going to look at here this morning I, I would have to say some of these truths are are controversial and um, some of these truths you know my hope is that by the time you're done you kind of know where we stand as a church on some of these and you might realize that, uh, that that might be what you agree with and it might not be and I'll guarantee it's not what people outside of these walls think uh, about some of these truths related to uh, especially the topic of marriage here. You know, and I think at our, as a nation, many of you know, we're kind of at a, uh, a crossroads of sorts as it relates to this upcoming election. There's really two very different paths uh, the two potential administrations could take things. And I hope that you are very aware of the platforms that are represented there and things that would get implemented through policies and decisions and stuff like that. If, if you're not, you really should probably check over some of the platforms here because uh, when it comes to this topic especially things related to marriage there there are two very different stances there and they have the potential to have significant consequences based on on what happens so I hope that um, you know you get out and do your your part in voting occasionally I'll bump into someone who complains a lot about the government and I've even found a few people that complain and didn't vote in the last election and I, I just go you know you, you lost your right to complain when you didn't vote, you know, and, and even if you did vote, the Bible says you shouldn't be complaining anyways, right? So, but this is a chance to have an impact on, on the authorities that will be in place in, in our nation here. It's a big deal, and people are weighing in on it. Um, 
because of that. I know Billy Graham has come out and made a statement, even you know, at 94 years old, just saying, you know, you need to really understand some of the significance that could play out based on your choice of who you vote for this, this coming election here. So anyways, we'll talk about some of those specifics. Um, we're going to start by, let's see, let's look at a couple verses here. The Amazing Race, you know, that was... Some of you watched Amazing Race on TV. You know, the idea behind that, we tried to pick a, like a TV show that represented each one of these that we're going to do. And really, the Amazing Race is going to have nothing to do with what we talk about here. But it's, it's popular. It uh, has to do with a lot of couples uh, doing these different activities together. It, it's interesting. It, they travel the world, stuff like that. Couples consist of, you know, married couples, non-married couples, guys and girls, and, and all of the above. But uh, we're going to talk about some things specifically related to God's design for the marriage relationship here um, you know one of the verses that, that is uh, I feel like getting just uh, I'm getting reminded of over and over again as we do this series is this one from Hebrews 13:7 that says it says this you know remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith and each time we, we've talked this verse has kind of bubbled its way to the surface whether it's parents or moms or dads or here we are in marriage talking about this again but Really, I just think we're, we're blessed. I don't know if you realize this or not. We're blessed to be a part of an association of churches that have men and women that have gone before us in each one of these phases of life, whether it's parenting or marriage or uh, the single life, things like that. And, and they've gotten results in these phases of life that are very different than the rest of this world, this culture that we live in. They're very different results than the rest of Christianity, it seems, honestly. And so, and there's a reason for that. This verse says, consider the outcome of those that have gone before you and imitate their faith. And so we're going to look at a couple things that, from my observation, people that have taught me the Word of God, people that are leaders, national leaders in our association, here's a few things that I, I know they believe. And I want to make sure you, you know that as well. But one of them is this, you know, that God's Word is meant to be obeyed. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to sex, when it comes to all sorts of things, you know, everyone's got their opinion, but um, we're a part of a group of people that believe that uh, God's Word is the final say, the highest authority on the matter, regardless of what our society says, regardless of what the TV and movies say, regardless of anything, God's Word is the highest authority. And it's not meant to be just commented on or used as some sort of uh, catalyst to conversation. God's Word is meant to be the, the final say. And we've got people that have, have taken it as such. I know Rick Whitney shared this verse when he was teaching on parenthood. Um, he said this, you know, that back when they were just getting started as an association, he said, you know, this verse was one that spoke to many of them, but do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's meant to be done. It's meant to be applied to our lives. And we have a heritage of men and women who have been applying God's Word to their lives for decades now, and they're seeing radically different results. And we'll talk more about that. But that's one verse. They believe God's Word is meant to be obeyed. Another thing that people that have gone before us have, uh, I feel like I see in their lives, is that they believe that God has given us everything we need to obey Him. It's not like He just set the bar really high and said... Good luck, you know, see you in heaven, you know, have at it. God, God has set the bar really high for a way of life that He wants. And He's also said, um, He's given us everything we need. You know, uh, one verse, just one of the core values of our movement of churches is the grace of God. We're committed to God and God's Word. We're also committed to, to living it out by the grace of God, the gracious help of God. 
My grace is sufficient for you, you know, um, is one classic verse there. I think Peter wrote, uh, you know, that we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. God has given it to us. It is a high bar. It's a divine design. And God has given us everything we need to carry it out and also to reap the the benefits of that, the results of that. So uh, just a a few things to think about as we look at this. One of the verses we're going to use to frame our time this morning is is this one from Hebrews 13.4. And it starts off like this. Marriage should be honored by all. You know, it goes on to say, The marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. But we're going to start with just this first phrase here. Marriage should be honored by all. You know, and I've got a question for you. Is marriage honored by you? Do you honor marriage and God's design for the marriage relationship? Now, you know, if we did a show of hands, I hope most people would raise their hand and say, yes, I believe in the honor of marriage. Okay, well, that's great, but we're going to look at how God might define that. And hopefully, we're in line with some of his, the ways that he sees that marriage should be honored, because it's possible we would all say, I, I think marriage should be honored, and we might have some things that are, need to be corrected according to God's word and how we should honor marriage. But... Um, Honored means, you know, esteemed, esteemed worthy, precious, of great price, especially dear. Marriage is designed to be esteemed and, you know, all the different types of relationships people can have. And God says the marriage relationship, it's it's not parallel with everything else. It should be esteemed above uh, other relationships, above other, you know, um, partnerships or different things like that. Marriage should be honored, valued. Unfortunately, when you take a look around our culture, is, is that what happens in the movies and in TV? Is marriage honored? We see that as a highly valued thing, you know. Most likely not. Marriage is often mocked. People have a cynical attitude towards it. Um, it. Really, in a lot of ways, marriage is dishonored by our culture. And we have voices all around us through the media that are telling us marriage is like, life is fun and exciting. And when you're ready to change from that, get married, you know, or, or life is like, you know, you go through college and single and you get, you know, you live a fullness of life and then you, you know, you get married and then you die, you know, that's life right there. Um, that's the view, marriage is this, it's a condescending attitude, wow, why would you want to limit your options to only one person for the rest of your life when so much is available to you? That, that, any of you ever heard that thought and that voice out there? And it's, we're getting bombarded by that and we just need to be aware that uh, what we're getting bombarded by directly conflicts with God's view. The word, God's word says about it is very different than what the world says. Um, another thing is that marriage is to be honored by all. Marriage is to be honored by all. Well, some of you might go, well, I'm not married, so what's the big deal? Well, marriage by all means what? It means by all. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a believer, I would even say whether you're not a believer, God says marriage should be honored, esteemed, held in high regard by all. And again, it just comes back to that question. We could point fingers, well, they don't, they don't honor marriage and they don't honor marriage. I mean, the real question is, do you esteem and highly value the relationship of marriage that, that God has designed and and created. In some ways, if you don't honor marriage, you're doing dishonor to God who created marriage and designed marriage. And so, you think about that. But here's a few ways to, to honor marriage and a few ways to watch out for dishonoring God's design for marriage. And the first one is this. Um, we'll read this verse here. But 
way we honor marriage is honoring God's design for marriage. God's definition of marriage is under fire right now in this nation in a way that it never has been before. Our country, as many of you know, was founded on Judeo-Christian principles and, and that was included in our constitution and our view of life. But recently, those uh, values, traditional values of marriage have been challenged. There, there's a, a movement to redefine marriage because it seems so exclusive, so uh, non-inclusive of those that have a different view on the, on this relationship. And uh, this verse here, you know, Jesus, we go, well, what did Jesus have to say about it? He says this, you know, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. You know, God's design for marriage is to be between one man who's uh, in a loving, committed relationship with one woman for life. That's God's design. That's God's definition. Gee, you know, sometimes people say, well, that's the Old Testament. You know, one man, one woman, and the rest of you. But Jesus came along, and you know what he, he said? Here, here, here's what marriage should look like. And he quoted from the Old Testament, from God's original design. He said, this is how it was created to look, and I'm reaffirming it now in his day and age. And But the design of one man and one woman in a committed relationship for the rest of their lives is uh, under attack right now. And some of you might know that the current uh, government administration is in the process of redefining what marriage should include and not include. And there's also the other platform that's, that's running in this election is clearly said marriage should be defined traditionally as it has been, as it is from the Bible. Um, one man and one woman. And do you believe that? You might say I honor marriage and I think it should be more broad than it is. Well, you don't honor marriage. This is what God says it should look like. And, and I hope that you would see that because... Um, you know, we didn't think this up at the Firehouse Great Commission Churches. Christianity didn't. We didn't come up with the Bible. God, these are God's thoughts. This is God's design. We're trying to live it out. You know, the road less traveled, the whole heart of this series is that we're trying to follow Christ. We're trying to live by God's Word in all phases of life. And, and whether it's popular or whether it's not. And I'll tell you, these thoughts, if, if you walk out the door and start talking to people in the neighborhood and you say, I believe marriage should be defined as one man with one woman for the rest of their life, you're going to be unpopular. There's going to be people that really aren't going to like that. There are some of my friends in this neighborhood that don't like that I would hold to that view. There's some people that would even go beyond not liking that you hold to that view. There's some people out there that would have a genuine anger and probably even a hatred towards you to say, well, that's the only way marriage can be defined. And you know what? Jesus, Jesus was hated. You know, He told His disciples, they hated me, and they're going to hate you. And sometimes we think as a church and in our neighborhood, we've, we've tried to walk that balance of, on one hand, we want to be winsome. We want to be friendly. We want people to like us. You know, who doesn't want people to like us? And on the other hand, we are trying to follow Jesus. And Jesus did some things, you know, you think about it, He did life perfectly. He did it perfectly. He taught perfectly. He lived perfectly. And there's people that decided, I don't want to follow Him. He's too radical for me. And, and you know, we're not even close to living in perfect Christ like this, but even as, a, as we have a glimmer of that, there's going to be people that say, I don't want to tag along with these guys. They're, they're a little too extreme. They're a little too intolerant. They said the same thing to Jesus, and, and I don't know why we would expect it to be different. Now, we're not looking for trouble, but I guarantee you, um, if you 
you know, uh, hold on to some of these truths related to marriage, related to sex, you're going to find trouble coming at you real quick. You know, Jesus didn't go, oh, I hate you because you hate me. No, he just said, they're going to hate you because they hated me. They're going to persecute you. They, they killed him. They kicked him out of his city and they put him on a cross on the hill. You know, why should we think we're going to get a better response if we're really following him? And I, I just think we need to be aware of that. And we need to realize that as a church, as we're trying to figure out our identity, we want to be winsome. We want to love people. We want to let them know up front. We're, we're dead serious about following Jesus, whether it's popular or unpopular. In, in our country, following Jesus is becoming less popular than it has ever been in the history of our nation. And, and that's where we're going. And I hope you guys, I hope that resonates with your heart as a follower of Christ. Because we really, as we've been rehashing vision and things like that, we get a sense, yeah, we want to be winsome and we want to do good in this neighborhood. And we want to directly tie that into following Jesus Christ and honoring His name, honoring His word, His design for life. And I hope you're in with us on that. And, um, and if you're visiting and you're new with us here today, that's where we stand. We probably aren't going to, you know, uh, try to trick you or anything like that. We're real serious about following God's Word and following Christ and giving Him the glory um, as we go. So anyway, it's um, one man, one woman. Another thing that's probably even more controversial than that, you know, it goes on in that passage where Jesus said, the two will become one flesh. Um, this verse in Hebrews goes on to say, in the marriage bed... Kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. What is this idea of the two becoming one flesh? What is that talking about? What is this idea of the marriage bed being kept pure? What is that talking about? You know, I hope you understand that it's, it's kind of biblical words for the subject of sex. The two becoming one in marriage, one flesh, they're talking about sex. The two will, through the through sex, there's a oneness, a spiritual, there's a, an emotional, a physical oneness, but sexual intimacy brings the oneness that God designed. And two that are married will become one. And the marriage bed being kept pure, it's talking about a sexual intimacy there. And it's to be kept pure. Some translations say undefiled. You know, sex is defiled when it is done in a way that is inconsistent with God's word, inconsistent with God's design. And... Uh, you might say you honor marriage. Do you honor marriage? Do you really think it's to be between one man and one woman? Do you really think that sex is designed for the marriage relationship? Or do you have other thoughts on that? Or maybe do I agree with that? I just don't live like that. You've got to decide what you want to do here because God says sexual relationship is designed to happen between one man in a loving, committed relationship with one woman for life. And you go and say that in your schools, in your classrooms, in your neighborhood, and there'll be people that'll hate you for that. There'll be people irate that you would dare believe something like that. And you know what? If you're going to follow Jesus, um, you might be ready for some of that because, again, there was a time in the, in the past where our culture was like, oh yeah, you know, premarital sex is wrong because well, our culture says it's wrong. My parents say that's wrong. We're living in a culture now that says, you know, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about how you define marriage? What's the big deal about how and when you have sex? Well, it's a big deal in God's life. So much so that He says He will judge people. He, will, uh, he does not approve of sex outside of marriage. There's two ways it specifically talks about. If you see this verse, it says He'll judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Adultery is when someone enters into the marriage relationship and the marriage vows, and they have sex outside of that committed relationship. Most people, I think, even in this society, still go, Oh, yeah, that's wrong. You know, you're married, you shouldn't have sex outside of your marriage. And they'll tell you the secret is just don't get married and you don't have to worry about it, you know. But, but they, even there's people nowadays um, 
I know an outspoken atheist, you know, went out and I, I think just uh, gone public and said, you know, I don't even know what the big deal is about adultery, you know, and, and that's not, everybody thinks that way. A lot of people think, well, adultery is wrong. But you know, sexual immorality, adultery is once you're married, not having sex outside of your marriage relationship. Sexual immorality has to do with not having sex before you get married. Any sexual activity before you're married is going to be judged by God. It's not approved by God. And uh, sexual immorality, you know, another word that's used often is fornication. But it's the idea of sex before marriage, sex with someone you're not married to. And there's a lot of ways to express that premarital sex. Is not approved by God. It will be judged by God. Same sex, sex is not approved by God. It will be judged by God. Those all fall in the same camp of something that is dishonoring to God's design for marriage and thereby dishonoring to God. And God says He will judge that. Do you honor marriage in your view, in your life? Because uh, we want to be men and women who honor marriage. And marriage should be honored by all. And that means... Sexual activity outside of God's design for marriage is, is wrong. It's sin. It will be punished. Jesus went so far to say, Mark 7, uh, 23, he called sexual immorality and, um, and adultery evil. So these evils all come from within. And, you know, someone said, well, Jesus didn't make a stand. Well, Jesus said it was evil. Sexual immorality is evil. Um, adultery, evil. And he listed a bunch of other things that are evil as well. But if you've got a different view, if you've bought into the lie out there that, uh, you know what, I like to ask people on campus this question. I like to say, do you think, are you telling me that you should be able to have the freedom to express yourself sexually any way you want to? And a vast majority say, yeah, you know, i got my rights, I can express sex any way I want to. And, and, you know, then I start to get them to follow through on the thing. You know what that means? If you um, want to express your love sexually towards one of your children, um, then I guess that means you should be able to do that. Oh, well, oh, I don't know about that. Or what, uh, you know, if you want to express love sexually towards a child, not your child, not in your family, well, some people think that's right. By that definition of I can express sex any way I want to, you open the doors to a lot of things, and all of them are broken, and all of them will be judged by God unless it's a sexual intimacy expressed only in marriage. And you've got to be clear on that. Because uh, God's real clear on that. And the rest of this world's getting fuzzy. Sometimes, you know, um, people will say in elections and things like that, boy, those Christians better not, like, vote by the Bible and stuff. They gotta, you know, people are all making their votes and their choices based on what they believe. Um, some of them believe, you know, this is, ex- this is, in- this is uh, intolerant or this is whatever what we believe. But I hope every one of you cast your vote um, for things that are in line with the biblical worldview, biblical values, because, uh, you know, and sometimes it's easy to think, well, you know, culture's headed out, headed out the door, it's just going to all burn, and Jesus is coming back, and it's true, it, it, the world is going to continue to be corrupted worse and worse, but my hope is that that final phase, the final turning of our culture doesn't happen on, on my watch. And on, on my vote. And I hope it doesn't happen on your watch, men and women. It's going to go to hell in a handbasket, as they say. But let it not get there because uh, we were doing nothing. You know, we weren't standing out. We need to stand strong on these. Everyone's standing strong on their views. A lot of the people are a lot more uh, outgoing in their opinions than we are about God's opinions and about following Christ. You know, and the issue, it's not about getting all involved in politics and stuff like that. I heard a quote recently, uh, you know, about politics. It said that um, 
Politics is the religion of people who don't know God. You know, people get very passionate about politics. They get very, you know, they see it as like the highest thing you can discuss and figure out. But um, we're supposed to be passionate about Jesus Christ. If you're passionate about this or what's wrong or that or whatever, you know, we're supposed to be passionate about following Jesus Christ, honoring His name, living by His word. And I hope that's what you're passionate about. And if you're more passionate about pointing fingers at this and that, you know, um, that, that's not the goal. The goal is to be passionate about Jesus Christ, honor His design. For marriage, honor his design for sex, um, and again, it's only for the marriage relationship. All other, uh, any other sex does not have God's approval, and it will ultimately be judged by God. Very clear in the scriptures. Um, another thing we're going to look at here. This one maybe not as controversial, but uh, you know, Jesus in that passage went on to say that two are no. Uh, let's see, there are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Another verse says this, I hate divorce, says the Lord, God of Israel. Um, We need to realize that God's design for marriage, another way to honor marriage is to realize that it is to be a loving commitment for life. A loving commitment for life. You know, um, we're living in a time where marriages are falling apart probably faster than they ever have. And that's even including the fact that a lot of people just aren't getting married uh, because they don't see it as that important. But marriages are, are being destroyed. And, and God has intended when you get married, He wants you to stay married. His design is that you should stay together uh, for the rest of your life. And He hates divorce. And, and we have to be careful because if we did a show of hands here of how many of you have been affected by divorce, either by your parents or even in your own life personally, um, my bet would be at least half the room has been affected. We, we did a show of hands once before and it was half, if not more than half of the people in our church have been affected by divorce. And God hates divorce. Uh, but we have to make sure we separate that from the fact that um, God does not hate divorcees. People who've been through divorce, God loves them. God loves divorcees. He hates divorce. Divorce is, is broken. It's painful. It's hurtful. I've never met anyone that didn't have pain related to divorce. Now, some would say, well, it's better here than it was there. Yeah, but God's intention wasn't that... It would be better than a broken situation. God's intention is that marriage would be wonderful, a loving relationship that reflects the love of Christ for His bride, you know. And, but it's broken, it's painful, it destroys lives. And we just need to make sure that we, in our minds, go, well, yeah, God doesn't want people getting divorced. But you know what? There's a lot of people out there that have been divorced and that are hurting. Um, and I think of the psalm that says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, to those who have been crushed in spirit. And there's many brokenhearted out there that we need to show God's love to. And that's not the same thing as saying, well, yeah, I guess, you know, I guess divorce is right. And everyone has a reason why it's okay. Um, but that doesn't change God's intention. God's intention is for men and women to be in a loving relationship, committed with security and acceptance for the rest of their life. Anything less than that is broken. It's not what God wants, you know. And it doesn't reflect God's love for us. You know, just think about God to set up marriage to be this relationship that says these two people love each other like Christ loves the church. And um, when a divorce happens, someone, if not both people, are saying, you know what, um, uh, there's a reason for me not to love you anymore. And, and one of the reasons I think God hates that is because God, He would never turn His back. He would never forsake you. He will never, in His relationship, His love is unfailing for us. There's a lot of reasons why He shouldn't love us anymore. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Marriage is supposed to reflect that. And unfortunately, time and time again, it doesn't. Um, 
And so we just need to know. You know, um, one of the things I think about for single people, you know, um, single people, it's, uh, it's a, you, marriage is a commitment for the rest of your life. And I've got to ask you a question. Are you in the habit of keeping your commitments now? Because why do you think, if you're not in the habit of keeping your word now, you get in a, the hardest situation you've ever been in and with the most uh, fiery, uh, you know, um, conflict that you could probably ever have in your life. And if you're not in the habit of keeping your commitment now, why are you going to keep it then? Well, statistics show you won't. And, you know, you need to be men and women who are in the habit of keeping your word. If you are married, you ought to be in the habit of keeping your word as well. But we need to make sure. Sometimes I ask you, what's the greatest cause of divorce in the U.S. today? You know, and some will say money, and some will say personalities, and some will say you shouldn't have gotten married in the first place. And I always just say, you know, the greatest cause of divorce is, is one or two people breaking their vow. That said, till death do us part. Someone's not following through on that, and, and that's the greatest cause of divorce. We need to make sure we're men and women who keep our promises, and God keeps His with us. You know, it's, it's a love that He will never forsake or, or leave anyone who has turned to Him and His love. And so, that's what He wants to see in our marriages, and that would definitely be the road less traveled. Also, want to let you know, maybe you've been through hard things, maybe you've committed sexual sin, or been a part of a broken marriage, or things like that. I was. Uh, just looking around the room in the first service and going, oh, I know that situation. I know that situation. And I even think about this pastor's conference that we went to. A, a pastor and his wife are near and dear uh, to Morgan and I, and they just have a great family and a great marriage. And, you know, he shared part of his journey and how when he was young and he went through a divorce and how it crushed his world. And, you know, my heart just goes out for people like that. But I also know... You know, God blesses things when they're done by His design. When you do things His way, He blesses it. He promises that. But God can also take broken situations. When we sin, when we make selfish choices, and we come humbly to God, He gives grace to the humble. And He can bless us. He can make a broken situation work out more than you could have ever imagined. You know, when I share my testimony, I have a little testimony track that I pass out to people about my story and my family and stuff. And, you know, it's called God Bless My Broken Road. I've got a lot of broken things in my life and God took a broken man and broken choices and He's blessed it beyond what I could have ever imagined. And God is into being gracious to those who are humble, being gracious to those who believe He is that way, you know. And, uh, and He also blesses things, you know, um, if you decide to do it right the first time around, He blesses that too and it probably saves you some heartache along the way. I get an amen to that. Um, but uh, let's see here. Now another thing... This one, um, this one is controversial as well. You know, some of those are controversial outside the walls of a church. This this section here is kind of controversial even within a church. You know, there's a whole section on marriage, and um, you know, we have we need to obey to honor marriage. You need to obey your God-given assignments in marriage. You know, some people really uh, don't like that idea that there would be different assignments for a man than for a woman, and vice versa. Um, but scriptures are real clear. Ephesians 5.33, this is just kind of the summary verse of that whole passage. You know, it's the one that talks about wives should submit to their husbands as under the Lord, and husbands should love their wives uh, as Christ loved the church. And it summarizes here at the end of the passage, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And 
Sometimes we just get into this whole thing that, well, who is God to say I have an assignment in my marriage? I'm, I'm the more organized one, or I'm the better leader. My husband's so passive, and uh, why should I have to do it that way? It's like women oppression, you know, um, and often you can hear that related to this. The road less traveled would be uh, accepting and carrying out your God-given assignment, and, and that is less common than some of these other things we've talked about as well. And I, I sometimes like to use the analogy, you know, there's it's loving leadership, it's respectful responding from a wife as a helper. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that if you view this idea of someone having a role of leading and someone having a role of following, again, in the context of marriage, it's just, uh, you don't know how many people have just gotten fired up at me for using the S word, you know, submit. I didn't make it out. I'm just reading the passage. Don't shoot the messenger, right? Um, but when you think about it in dancing context, if you've ever taken dancing classes, any of you ever danced before? Got some great dancers here. I think about when my wife and I enrolled in some swing dancing classes, you know, and I thought it was like the greatest thing ever. I'm a terrible dancer. She's pretty good naturally. And uh, so we're at the class, but they kept saying, okay, you got to do this step, you know, talking to me, and you got to do this and that, and talking to her, telling her her steps. And we're starting to dance, and the instructors, I think it was, uh, there was a guy and a girl instructor, but they're like, I know, you got to follow him. Let him lead. And I'm like, yeah, let him lead, you know. And they're like, no, you can't, you can't do that step for him or before him. you got to wait for him to do it. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. You tell her. You tell her, teacher. Um, so there's something about being in that that just, for me, just resonated with like, yeah, I've been given this assignment. And, you know, how many people, when they're at a dance class, I've never been at a dance class where someone's like, this is women oppression. I can't believe they get to lead and I have to follow. Uh, you know, I'm boycotting dance classes. They don't do that. That's just silly. It makes sense in a dance class. When you see it work, it's kind of pretty cool. And uh, But somehow when we try to do the same thing in marriage, it's oppression. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's old-fashioned. It, it doesn't work. It's whatever the word is for it nowadays. But I, I go, when you view God's assignments like a dance, it, it sure seems to make a lot of sense. And if you've seen a marriage that's living out that design... It's something else. It's something amazing to watch. You don't see it often, but when you do, you go, I think that's what he was talking about right there. And unfortunately, that is the road less traveled. Um, But fortunately, I think we're blessed with men and women who've been trying to obey God's design in this and seek his grace and help to carry that out. And I'm glad to be a part of men and women and churches that are trying to do that with God's help. Um, A couple of different ways of dancing. The, The dance is not like... It's not like breakdancing. We've got a couple breakdancers in the fire heralds here. I don't know if you know that. Rob, you're a breakdancer. Is this right? Is that what I hear? That's true. We've got, we got two breakdancers. Both of them have very light-colored skin, so they're, they're white guy breakdancers. But this is that's all right. I hear Rob is very good at it. Greg Miller, if you don't know her, Deacon is also a breakdancer. You know, the, the Deacon of breakdancing. Um, but, but anyways, you know, sometimes marriage is like breakdancing. And, you know, in the way that uh, I've seen it done, I see it happen at weddings, and things like that. You get a, a person in a circle, you get a circle going and, and someone starts dancing and spinning and doing all the things that they do which are unbelievable, but everyone's standing around this one person clapping and going, yeah, you know, yeah, you, and they're, they're doing their thing. And sometimes a marriage is like that. And one or the other is in the circle and the family or the husband or the wife is gathering around and yeah, you know, do your thing. And it's all about cheering on that person. Now sometimes there's mutual break dancing and the, the spouses will take turn and the other person will get to get in the circle and maybe they have other people cheering them on their co-workers and things like that but God's design for marriage is not like breakdancing 
It's not like mutual break. It's fascinating. It probably takes the grace of God to break dance. And I would break my neck. I know that's, I know that's where it got its name from. But, um, you know, marriage is not to be like that. It's not to be like line dancing. Most people go, okay, here's the deal, you know, I've got equal value and my wife's got equal value. And, you know, the Bible is real clear on that. Men and women have equal value in the eyes of God. They should have equal value in the eyes of everyone. But they don't have the same assignment. But some people think marriage should be like line dancing. You know, what's line dancing? Everyone gets in the line, men and women, stand next to your wife, and you all do the same moves. You know, you do your kind of your thing and your... I, I don't know how to line dance, but the point is, there's a man and there's a woman, and they're all doing the same thing because we're equal. And we should have equal dance assignments. Well, that's not the way God designed it. We don't all have the same dance moves that we're supposed to do. It's not like line dancing. Some people think it is. Well, that's fine, but, but that's not God's design. He's being given two distinct assignments to two equal people. And we have to keep that in mind. Another way it can be like, I like to call it, it's not like the bad Cotton Eye Joe dance. And how many of you know country dancing at all? Would you dare raise your hand? One of you. All right. <laughs> uh, country dancing has this dance that's called the Cotton Eye Joe. When I was in college, it's the only dance I knew because uh, you can do the Cotton Eye Joe while you're intoxicated. That's the only reason I knew the dance. But so it's this song. I get the banjo going. It's bam, 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 and then you skip backwards and. You know, you do your, so it's, uh, it's a cotton eye joke. But I remember I had a girlfriend in college that she was a country dancer and a country type person. And I had no business in a country bar. And I don't know what I was doing there that night. But um, but anyways, she was like, okay, we got to dance this dance. It's like some modern day cotton eye joke sort of thing. And I'm like, but I don't know how to dance. And, but that's okay. You know, i got a plan for you there, my boyfriend. And uh, so she got me out. She said, all you got to do is just kind of do-do-do-do-do, move your feet, hold your hands over my head, and I'll do the rest. And so she got out there, and man, she was spinning like a tornado and doing all these things. And people who didn't know what dancing should look like go, like my buddies, they were there with me. Like, wow, check that out. Anyone who knew anything about dancing goes, oh, that's sad. That's really sad. You know, that one, two thoughts I think they'd have. One would be, that woman is putting herself on display there. She is working to put herself on display. And, oh, poor guy, he's just being dragged along for the ride here. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of marriages that look like that. There's a lot of people that go, hey, I'm a better dancer. I'm going to lead the way. And there's a lot of husbands that are kind of scooting along, kind of going, oh, and I go, oh, poor him. And I go, oh, poor her, putting herself on display like that. That's not God's design. I'm sure some marriages survive that way as a coping mechanism. I see marriages like that all the time. But that should never be confused with the road less traveled, uh, a marriage that's going by God's design. When you see a marriage um, it's operating by God's design, I say it's more like a glorious ballroom dance where there's a guy leading and there's a, a woman that is put on display, but it's done with a certain order to it and a certain design. And there's a certain glory to it that you don't see uh, in the same way in any other dancing and any other marriage. Dancing, there's a lot of glorious ways to dance. That's fine. I'm not opposed to break dancing or any of these other things. But as far as your marriages go, uh, there's, there's one way, and, and we happen to have a, a, the blessing of having men and women who have marriages like this. When I first started going to church, one of the things that... Um, I heard some of the things they taught and stuff. I go, wow, I don't know if I agree with that thought on sex or on marriage. And God changed me. But one of the things I did see was some families and some marriages that were different than anything else I'd ever seen before. And it, it, had, it intrigued me. Why do these, 
why, why do they relate like that? That seems like uh, nothing I'd ever experienced before. But I, I knew I wanted something like that. And, you know, the way it got there was there's people that believe that God has instructions that should be obeyed related to marriage. There's a way to honor marriage and God's design that are going to get different results than the rest of this world, you know. And um, I just think about, so we shared the statistics before, when it comes to marriages that survive, that, that are lasting, um, you know, the stats out there, they vary year to year, depending on who's doing the poll, but it's anywhere from one-third, 33%, up to 50% uh, of marriages, 50% of marriages that exist right now, that includes second, third, and fourth time marriages, things like that, 50% chance that marriage is going to fail. New marriages that are just getting started, first go at it, you know, it's closer to 33% will fail. And, um, but you know, they did a study in our association of churches and the marriages that have occurred over the last number of decades here, and um, they found that the percentage they came, uh, they found for our churches was, I think it was 2.4% of marriages have ended in divorce. It's a very different result than the rest of the world, than the rest of Christianity. Um, you know, and then there's a whole nother. That's just survival of a marriage. When you see marriages like this conference we went to, and you see men and women that have been in a committed relationship for years, it's not just about survival. When they're really trying to carry out God's roles, it's an amazing thing. There's, there's a life there. There's, there's something that you go, they're not worried about whether they're going to survive or not. They're just getting the hang of how glorious this is going to look to others as they represent the name of Jesus. And that's what it's all about. And I don't know what your expectations are of marriage, but that's God's expectation right there. And the last thing I want to hit on related to marriage is that, you know, your marriage is, um, your marriage is to be on mission. You know, if you ever get to the point where, oh, I, I arrived, I got married, and I'm just goal is just to keep happy and dance the rest of my life just for the sake of dancing. You know, the dancing is designed to, to be the way you carry out your mission. You're supposed to dance along the way, but the mission is still the same. We've got to reach the world with Jesus. That's the assignment. That's the, the assignment has always been that. It's not changed. And, and it, the question is, though, the road less traveled with marriage... Boy, I see the marriages that, that have been modeled to me, and I go, they're staying together. It looks amazing. I want, to, I want to have more of that in my own marriage. But you know what? These marriages are also doing things. Together they are reaching people with Christ. Lives are changing because some of these men and women are trying to follow Jesus. They're trying to live by His Word, and lives are being turned upside down. My life is one of those that was reached by people trying to carry this out. And, you know, again, I just want to close on this verse here from Psalm 16, verse 6. This is the New American Standard. But it says this. It says, The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. When I think about all the different plans God could have had for my life, and I could have become a Christian while I was in college, and someone from Campus Crusade for Christ shares the gospel with me. I could have become a Christian in high school and been a part of a ministry there. I could have been a part of the Presbyterian Church sharing the gospel and reaching me. You know what? I am so blessed that God chose to have His plan be someone in the Great Commission churches shared the gospel with me. And God plugged me into that church family. He showed me that life can look very different than I ever experienced, that, that I ever tasted of. And I think the heritage that we have is a beautiful thing. And, and it's not about Great Commission people. It's about men and women who are serious about obeying God's Word and who believe God wants to help them do that. And it has made all the difference um, in their lives. And let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I do just want to thank you.
for the heritage you've given me. I thank you for the men and women, the brothers and sisters in Christ that have believed your word was meant to be obeyed and believed that you were even willing to graciously help that happen. God, I thank you that you are a gracious God, that when we mess things up, when we break things and come to you in humility, you will still bless us beyond we can ever imagine. I thank you that you're gracious. I thank you that you bless things when we live by your design. I thank, thank you that you bless them when we break them and then we come to you in faith and humility. And, and God, I just pray that we would be a church that follows you even on issues that are extremely unpopular and, and growing ever more so, Lord. And we just ask for, for your grace um, to live for your glory, for the name of Jesus. Help us to be faithful to you to the end, no matter what may come. We pray this in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us this morning. I hope to catch you next week for just uh, the last part of The Road Less Traveled.